Hey guys, welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, we are speaking with Karen Golden-Russell. More often than not, a, a patient will talk about how friendly, and you definitely need friendly front desk too. Um, they'll talk about how friendly the doctor is. But when they get after the procedure, after they've had the procedure, they'll talk about those things, but they don't necessarily talk about, you know, gee, um, my crown fits great and I don't have any pain from it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think, then also the patients also focus on things like billing, right? Where they will not be loyal to a dentist that's not doing great, great work. But for whatever reason, the bill was submitted incorrectly and needed some going back and forth with the payer to correct. So really judging a, a doctor um, on the merits of the clinical work is very hard for patients to do. And the payers don't make it easy either. discuss what are some mistakes uh, she's seen when practices are trying to grow their profits. We also talk about what mainly impacts the cash flow uh, in a practice, which is a really, really good topic. We also talk about what can harm patient satisfaction and what can drastically make it better. So listen out and look out for that. And then one thing you're going to notice in this episode is Karen kind of talks about the revenue cycle a lot. So we break that down. She discusses the beginning of the revenue cycle and how that is implemented all within the practice. So we mainly discuss in here all about cash flow, revenue cycle, increasing profits, uh, increasing production and collection and so much more. So it's a really, really good uh, episode. And it all kind of starts with the front office. So we discuss a little bit about that, some systems, some companies uh, she works with within Henry Shine that can help you out with that as well. So guys, without further delay, here is Karen Golden Russell. Karen, how's it going? Michael, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. If you don't mind me asking, where are you, call, where are you from? I am from Dallas. Well, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, but I'm calling you from Dallas, Texas. So my husband and I moved here two years ago. Uh, we wanted to get away from the snow and it turns out you don't have to shovel sunshine. So we are loving Texas and we're 15 minutes from the airport and there's lots of dentistry going on down here in Dallas. So uh, very interesting from an industry perspective as well. Yeah, I feel like Especially Dallas, like that billion dollar mile is Frisco and all around there. It, it blew up, huh? It really did. It really did. And what's also interesting is uh, there are interesting Medicaid benefits um, for pediatrics here. So you see a lot of those kinds of practices, which, you know, when I was in the Northeast, you didn't necessarily see. So it's very exciting, even from a payer mix perspective, which, of course, my area of expertise. So uh, I'm intrigued by those kinds of things. Yeah. Nice. OK, so. Before we get into it, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So um, I spent most of my career in, in the medical side of healthcare, starting off in software and then moving into services. And back in 2016, I got a call from um, a colleague from my days when I was at Philips Healthcare. So the Zonicare Toothbrush people, um, oh. you know, multinational company, Philips. And uh, he called me in 2016 and he said, what do you know about dental? And I said, I said, I don't know anything about dental, you know, because as you know, the medical, the dental sides, it's all under healthcare, but they're very different. Mm-hmm. And I did admit to him that I'd had my first root canal the month before. So the most I knew about dental was uh, I geeked out about the procedure and I knew a lot about gutta percha, which is what they fill the tooth with, and, uh-huh. uh, probably more than the average consumer should know. But um, that's what I knew about, about dentistry. 
And anyway, um, his private equity firm that he was now at was invested in a 300 practice DSO, and he was interested in my joining them, given my expertise in revenue cycle, uh, but also in operations and uh, Six Sigma tools and techniques in order to improve operations. So, um, so that's where I got into dental. Wow. Okay. So then right now you've been into dental, but where are you at right now currently? So I, I, I know with Henry Shine and at Henry Shine, I lead the practice services division. So what we are in practice services, and I, I, I do a little hand motion here that's very silly, but everybody knows when they see it, we are human helping hands. So <laughs> what we are about is how do we help our customers to run a more profitable practice so that they can focus on patient care, which is the reason they went to dental school in the first place. And having been at the DSO, um, you know, we had lots of centralized functions that helped our dentists to do that, to run profitable practices. And when, um, when Henry Schein called me in the summer of 2020, saying that they were interested in really building out this practices division, practice services division to help customers, it really intrigued me because then I could take my mission from helping the doctors within that DSO to helping tens of thousands of doctors um, to really widen my scope and widen my mission, which really excited me. But from a Henry Scheib perspective, you know, we, we really feel that what we're doing in practice services, which is all around, again, what to help the business, help the business grow um, or goal, meet their goals, the practice goals, whatever they might be. We really find um, and, and believe that it supports the Rely on Us brand promise, which I love, um, because it extends more than to than the traditional businesses everybody thinks about Henry Shine, but really extends to services as well. So we are all about helping our customers to rely on us again, so they can focus on what they want to do most, which is patient care. Yeah, that's interesting because I know like a lot of our, a lot of our listeners. Uh, are like startups and acquisitions, right? Within like one first, maybe one to five years, one to six years of, of being open or a little bit before. And we, we talk about Henry Shine, but I always think like, oh, supplies, right? right? With Henry right. Shine. And it's right. never, I never knew there was like a practice service division. Practice yeah. services division. It, so that's it's interesting. just for a while. And we, we've got a lot of, um, of third parties that we work with that we recommend to customers that provide really wonderful value-added services that we, we vet, by the way. So there, we just don't refer our customers to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, but last, what's really exciting is last summer, we invested in a company called eAssist. And eAssist is the largest provider of revenue cycle outsourcing services to the dental industry in the United States. Um, and I definitely say the United States because these are all of their, um, their folks that help customers are all stateside. And they really are a wonderful, wonderful company. I spent a lot of time with them, given my background in revenue cycle, both on the medical side and the dental side. I spent a lot of time speaking with them um, before we decided to partner with them. And they really know what they're doing. Incredibly, incredibly impressed with this group of folks. And it's just a real pain point for, for customers. If they're not able to collect what they're rightfully owed, it certainly impacts their cash flow, which nobody wants, right? No one wants their cash flow impacted. But it also, I think people forget this, has a huge impact on patient satisfaction. Now, how many times have we received a bill from a medical or a dental provider and you, you know that they just didn't submit it right or maybe the payer isn't paying their correct portion because maybe the right wrong code was used, whatever it might be. But those are the things that you read quite a bit when you look at Yelp reviews of, of dentists. Um, really, it, it, the dental billing 
And getting that right can completely contribute to your patient satisfaction and loyalty. So whether those patients return to you again. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. I know you, you talked about and you mentioned like your expertise is in revenue cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So what is involved in that, in, in the cycle? Yeah. And, and I, I sometimes think I shouldn't use that term because not everybody knows what it means. It's very much a kind of insider um, uh, a term from insider from an industry perspective. So revenue cycle is all about how a provider, you know, medical or dental, gets paid for the services that they have rendered. And all of us, if you've ever visited a doctor, um, you know, because you've been asked as you've entered the door, can I have your insurance card? That is the very beginning of their revenue cycle. So whether you're Cigna or Aetna or a Delta Dental, what have you, that is the very beginning of the revenue cycle because then what the provider's office does is they check to make sure that you do indeed have the, the insurance that you say you have, Cigna, mm-hmm. Aetna, what have you. But then what they will also check is your benefits because the benefits can be very different based upon the plan that you have, um, based upon you know uh, cleanings that are allowed, number of cleanings and the time period between cleanings. Um, crowns and how much they were reimbursement crowns, all those kinds of benefits get captured and input into the practice management system so that when the provider does provide the service um, and now the office staff will bill the payer for the service, they want to make sure that they're billing correctly um, so that they can get paid right the first time, which um, I, I hate to say uh, in many, many times does not happen, uh, mm-hmm. getting paid right the first time. And so having the right experts to submit those bills. The doctors always do the coding that is never done by somebody else, but then the, the bill is submitted. And in that submission, um, then they return back to make sure that the amount that was paid to the doctor is appropriate. And why do, what, how do I say appropriate? Doctors have contracted rates with payers, that the doctor will, the payer will agree to pay a certain amount, say, for a profi. Um, and so what you need is you need folks in the doctor's office who have the expertise to make sure that um, the bills paid correctly so that the patient portion can then be uh, sent out to the patient and the patient can pay that portion correctly. What I just described to you sounds like it's very easy and it is not very easy. Uh, it's brought with pitfalls and um, different ways of doing it. And, and you have to know different payers and how they like to receive bills and how they think about revenue cycle and reimbursement. So there's a lot of expertise involved, which is why we're so excited about eAssist and and what their folks do. Yeah, there's a lot of headaches. I know that when it comes to like trying to get your reimbursement, trying, what if they, the patient comes in and then they say, you know how you asked, where's your insurance, right? Can I have your insurance card? And they're like, I don't have any. That's okay, right? So, so lots of doctors have self-pay patients, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And they also can offer discount plans to patients that don't have insurance. So, but you know, it depends upon the individual doctor. So, it's a little bit different than medical, right? Uh, in that regard. So then, when it comes to the what can impact the cash flow, what have you seen mainly impact cash flow? So that very first piece of receiving that insurance card and validating that the patient has that insurance and, and, and the benefits that go along with their specific plan, that can be the first place, right? Because if you're billing Cigna and the person has Aetna, um, that can really impact your ability to get that bill paid. So you need folks who are then going to catch that when it comes back to the office to resubmit that or resubmit it correctly, but you still have to know what the right insurer is, right, from that perspective. The other thing that I, I've noticed quite a bit is that doctors, they are accepting less than their contracted rate. So every doctor has a contract 
with a payer, Cygnus so the Atlas of the World, for a payment for specific codes. And I'm surprised to find doctors that are willing to accept less than that contracted rate. And sometimes they don't know that they can get 100% of the contracted rate. Of course, accounting for patient portion, you know, responsibility, they don't know that they can. They can, they just need somebody in their office to do that work. And that is where somewhere like ES, someone like ESS really comes in and they act as that extension of the office staff to be that extra set of human helping hands and expertise to make sure that that doctor is paid 100% of what they're right to do. Gotcha. So ESS is like, what, is, what, 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 what do they do exactly? So ESS is outsourced dental billing. They also have some other services that they offer, such as making sure that a customer has full schedules. Um, they also offer accounting services, but their main business is really around revenue cycle and reimbursement. So again, submitting claims on behalf of an office, and then when those claims come back adjudicated, well, first of all, making sure that they get come back at all, right? That they, mm-hmm. that they are adjudicated by a pair. Um, but then when they are cut, then they do come back, they make sure that they were paid correctly. So the contracted rate, perhaps the um, the payer might have downgraded the code or the procedure because maybe not the right images were, were attached the first time around. So making sure that those right images go out, we call them clean claims. Mm-hmm. You always want a clean claim to go out first. Um, and that's what ESIS knows how to do, how to submit those clean claims. But if they don't come back paid as appropriately, ESIS will then follow up with the payer to make sure that they are paid appropriately. Sometimes they have to go back and forth multiple times with the payer to make sure that they're paid appropriately. And you can imagine if if you're in a doctor's office, it can often be hard for a dental practice to hire people with this correct expertise to know how to submit a clean claim or if a claim comes back uh, not paid as expected to resubmit that claim so that it can't get paid that, that second time around. And so that's one of the really benefits of ESIS. Because it's hard to find these people who have this expertise, they provide these experts. And it doesn't matter where the, where the customer is because the experts are all virtual. So ESIS was virtual before COVID made it you know, very hip to be yeah. virtual. And so they can work with customers all over the country on, on behalf of, of their clients. It's very exciting. Um, and it also, for so many doctors that have really strong growth plans. So maybe they want to add new operatories. Maybe they want to buy multiple practices. But to, to take Julie, for example, who might be really good and really your local expert in revenue cycle, Julie starts to get spread pretty thin when you start to add operatories, start to add practices. And if you can't find another Julie, um, you're, you're really at a disadvantage. So that's where we really see ESS coming in to either be Julie, um, the original person, um, and, and to really take that burden off of the office or to be, again, an, an extra set of human helping hands to Julie as the practice grows. Yeah, that's super helpful, especially like not only because of now, right? Like how employment's kind of hard to find and things like that. But at the same time, like, I remember doing claims and I mean, I would have to be on hold. I'd have to take somebody and then another phone would ring and nobody's answering that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a lot of, a lot of things maneuvering and, and, and you're juggling. So that's super helpful. Yeah. Know, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's one of these things where uh, in, in my past, having been responsible for revenue cycle on the medical side when I was at Phillips and then on the dental side uh, with the DSO, it's one of these things where when you are trying to get paid 
for a procedure that you have ethically, contractually, legally, rightfully delivered to the patient, and you can't get paid correctly. That is very frustrating. It's one of those things where if you are actually a provider who's really trying to focus on patient care, patient satisfaction, you don't want to be thinking about these worries, right? You, you want kind of in your cash flow to be taken care of. You want patients to be taken care of. And to take that off your plate and to give it to someone who's an expert is really a wonderful thing of you. Yeah. Rewinding back a little bit, when you mentioned clean claims, what you guys call it, is there like a rule of thumb? Like, can you give us like a couple of things to make sure you have clean claims? I wish I could. It all depends upon the payer. <laughs> and it all depends upon the procedure. Um, they all have different uh, policies and procedures. And that's why, why I talk about like the complexity here. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that's really, uh, we really love about a service like ESS, so they have 1,500 what they call ESSers around the country uh, helping customers, they share amongst each other as a community trends that they start to see. Mm -hmm. So payers might change, uh, a certain payer might change how they pay for a certain code. Well, if you're a, de a dentist office, you maybe don't feel that code very often. Where ESSers, because they're seeing that come through across the country, they then share with each other, oh, you have to attach this kind of an image now, so you want to do that next time around when you're submitting to that particular payer, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you, uh, Karen, is in your opinion, what can a dentist do today to improve their business? I think accepting help uh, where they, in a way that they haven't before and being willing to accept help in that new way because they can't hire the staff that they're looking to hire. Mm -hmm. And COVID, certainly before COVID happened, that was true, but it's become worse with COVID. And people want to work at home. They don't necessarily want to go into an office. Um, they want to be able to um, feel like they, they're growing their own career, their own expertise, but not necessarily working from a dental office, sitting in a chair for so many days a week. So I think a trend that's really important for dentists to think about, um, I, I won't say embrace, but to think about how it might benefit them to outsource certain aspects of the business, whether it is revenue cycle, could also be virtual front desk, right? So having folks help you to call patients to make sure that, or, or text patients using software like what Henry Shine has in Lighthouse or Demand Force to stay and engage with your patients to make sure that they're reminded of their appointments. Um, if you have holes in the schedule, writing to patients who maybe who have an appointment in the next two weeks, say, hey, we, we have an opening, does someone want to come in tomorrow? keep that schedule full, but really thinking about new ways that they can uh, scale their business and maybe ways they haven't thought of before. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I feel like when COVID hit, it forced everybody, right? To be like, oh my gosh, now I got to really pivot and change and, and start doing things differently. And now we kind of see being a little bit more efficient. You know what I mean? We were forced to be more efficient less overhead, things like that, right? Being more Yeah, and it, it forces one to think in new ways. And uh, I, I do know that for certain markets, um, you know, revenue cycle people, there's bidding wars for them. And, you know, who would have thought there'd be bidding wars for people to sit in an office and submit claims, right? And collect outstanding AR. And no one, I think, ever thought that that would happen, but it is happening. And so you just have too few people to go around in local markets 
to suit the needs that customers have. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like right now, there is a bunch of bidding wars going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? For like, and PCSOs, they're trying to create this, the central teams themselves, mm-hmm. um, and which which I get and makes complete sense. And again, even when we talk about a DSO, uh, you know, say you have you know fifty practices, maybe twenty of those practices have folks that are doing a fabulous job submitting clean claims, making following up on outstanding AR, making sure that the, the practice is paid. Um, but those other remaining practices maybe don't have the personnel that they need. So how do you find that personnel without stressing out the folks that are doing a great job for your other offices? That's where I think new ways of thinking and new models of employment through outsourcing. And, and not to just anyone. Um, and I, I want to be careful there to emphasize that you want to make sure that when you are outsourcing, it's to folks that really know what they're doing. And that's the, the beauty of Henry Shine is that when we do choose to work and partner with a service provider, uh, customers can be sure that we have vetted them um, and that we are confident as Henry Shine that they know what they're doing. Actually, I was at a conference last summer, maybe a month after we had partnered with, uh, with ESIS. Mm-hmm. And a customer came up to the booth and they said, hey, you know, you guys partnered recently with ESS. I said, yes, I was so excited about it. And they said, you know, we spoke with them two years ago and we were really interested in their services, but we kind of didn't know about them. We didn't know if they were, you know, small or what have you, or they could scale with our business. But now that Henry Shine has partnered with them, you know, we are very interested in talking to ESS and how they can help us. So Really, we see the, this combination of, of Henry Shine with service providers that just provide really great services, but that customers may be unsure of. But you, again, the rely on us brand promise, uh, the Henry Shine brand promise was that just love um, it, it is really something that, that uh, we focus on quite a bit. And we're very thoughtful about uh, in terms of if we're going to recommend to our customers, we want to make sure that we can do so wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's nice to know. That's really, really good. Okay, so now these next questions are just to get into the head of someone who's not totally involved on the clinical side of dentistry, right? Uh, Like working in their mouth and everything. So in your opinion, Karen, what would you like to see more from a dentist or a practice owner? I'd go back. I'd go back to the kind of thinking that's much more creatively about their staffing. I don't think I have a different answer here, by the way, than what I said before. Um, Just to for them to be thinking outside the box in ways that they can run their practice profitably uh, in ways that they may not have thought about before. Yeah. Do you have any, like, I know there's clients you work with. I know you work with hundreds, hundreds. Is there anywhere you stand out in your mind where you're like, wow, the way they ran it, the way they run their systems seems fantastic. You know, I don't know that anyone has the secret sauce because when it comes down to services, it's all about people, right? Um, I will tell you that there are some some service providers that definitely have the secret sauce. Um, Unitas is a partner of ours, and what they do is they help to evaluate the, the peer mix that a certain practice might have or a doctor might have and make suggestions to that doctor. And then they will negotiate on behalf of the doctor's behalf with the payers to make sure that the doctor's receiving market rates. It was uh, very interesting to me when I came into dental, uh, my brother-in-law's a medical doctor up in the Boston area. When he graduated from medical school, he seemed to have more knowledge of the insurance industry and how it worked than the even, you know, uh, dentists that I had worked with at the DSO had been in practice for five or 10 years. 
But certainly coming out of dental school, they certainly didn't have a, really a, a good understanding of what dental insurance was about and how to maximize their insurance. Yet again, in a very ethical way, you know, based upon the best practice patient care that they're providing. And so that was a real surprise to me. And I think doctors finding education about it, making sure that they've got good people around them that they can rely on who are experts in reimbursement and revenue cycle is the key to making sure that you've got good cash flow, that you're getting paid what you were rightfully owed. The ESS brand promise, really love that too. It's delivering peace of mind mm. because a doctor can't be going through all of their, their claims, can't be going through all their outstanding accounts receivable to make sure that things are paid correctly. If they also want to be practicing side. So you do need someone that, that you can trust, someone that can deliver that peace of mind so that when you go to sleep at night, you know you're being paid but you're rightfully owed for the great quality of services that you've provided that day. Yeah, that's like the best peace of mind, right? Like, you know what I mean? Because that's what you really want to do is just be in the clinical side, making sure you have your team that can cover everything, right? Yes, yeah, for sure. And, and many doctors join a DSO. Um, actually, an interesting uh, story about um, my experience. I had, uh, with the DSO I was at, we just had great relationships with our doctors. Yeah. Uh, we are partners with them. And I just saw a very you know, positive uh, example of what a DSO can do for their doctors and doctor owners. I went to an ADA conference, uh, annual conference one year, and I was coming down in the elevator with a gentleman who had the same lanyard on that I had. Yeah. And so I said, oh, you know, you're going over to the ADA conference. So what, what do you do? And he said, oh, me and my partner, we've been in private practice for 15 years and, um, you know, we, we love it. And, uh, you know, we, we're general dentists and this is what, what our calling is. And he said, what do you do? And I said, very innocently, I work for a DSO. And this poor gentleman's face like went completely stone cold on me. And, I, you know, it was with the first time that I realized that not all dentists think favorably, they, they'll call it corporate dentistry, those kinds of things. Just that wasn't the experience that I hadn't had. So I was kind of confused by his, his reaction. So anyway, we walked over to the convention center together. And by the time we got there, we were the, you know, the best of friends. But it was really enlightening for me to hear his story and that he loved being in private practice. He always, he didn't want to do anything differently, yeah. uh, but he felt like he was in competition with the DSOs that were moving into his geography and maybe that he couldn't keep up competitively. Mm -hmm. And that for me really sparked to me, first of all, an understanding that um, not everybody wants to join a DSO. It's not for every doctor, but other doctors join and they love it. That works really well for them. But joining, uh, you know, Henry Shine, it made me realize, well, gee, if I join Henry Shine, I can help both. I can help both the doctors that decide to join a DSO and how do we help them from a business perspective um, where their DSO maybe can't or is limited um, and their ability to hire the right experts, but also to hire these other folks who are really want to remain independent. And how do we help them to do that and not feel that they're at a disadvantage because they didn't join a DSO? So uh, there's just a really exciting uh, or, or telling engagement for me with that one gentleman going over to the ADA conference. And it, it made me learn a lot about the industry in a very short amount of time, very short conversation. Yeah, I feel like that happens uh, a lot, Karen, where uh, at least from what I see in the groups and things like that, where 
private practice will will post something and be like, great, another another DSL, right? Like another Aspen Dental or something like that. It's like right across the street from me. Like, am I going to make this happen? And I like no. your viewpoint where you're like, uh, we can both live. We can both. We can both. There's plenty for everyone. But I do understand the feeling, though, of that independent dentist to say, gee, you know, that the, the DSO has lots of people working for them to make sure that their dentists are paid appropriately from a market rates perspective or from, you know, a timeliness of, of, of payment perspectives is the cash flow stays where it needs to be. Um, but we want to be that. We didn't reach out want to be that. We want to fulfill that need, whether it is for that local that independent practice that wants to, you know, very passionate about staying independent or for the DSO who maybe needs some help with some of their practices, but not all of their practices. And that's fine too. Um, and there's just plenty of, of patient need to go around. We just want to make sure that, again, we are there as Henry Shine for everyone um, to rely on us in, in the way that, that we can support them. Yeah, that's good. And so next question is right now, what do you currently, from from your viewpoint, right? Uh, like almost actually kind of put yourself in the general population uh, seat here. What do you currently maybe dislike or, or hate about dentistry? Yeah, you know, consumers are really bad. And this is rabbinical too, by the way. <laughs> consumers are really bad judges of clinical excellence. More often than not, a, a patient will talk about how friendly, and you definitely need friendly front desk too. Um, they'll talk about how friendly the doctor is. But when they get after the procedure, after they've had the procedure, they'll talk about those things, but they don't necessarily talk about, you know, gee, um, my crown fits great and I don't have any pain from it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I think then also the patients also focus on things like billing, right? Where they will not be loyal to a dentist that's not done great, great work, but for whatever reason, the bill was submitted incorrectly and needed some going back and forth with the payer to correct. So really judging a, a doctor um, on the merits of the clinical work is very hard for patients to do. And the payers don't make it easy either. On the medical side, there's very much a trend of, of paper performance. Mm -hmm. um, but the medical side is a little bit different. And I used to often talk to the dentist at the DSO. I really wanted to understand, you know, why is dentistry so complex compared to medical? You know, medical has a lot of standards of care. If someone presents and, and they're type 2 diabetes, right, there are certain things that you do for them as a doctor, certain procedures, certain tests that you do, and that's well-established guidelines of care for someone with diabetes. If a patient presents and they have a broken tooth, it was, it was enlightening for me to hear, wow, okay, there's a lot of things that that, that has to be thoughtful about. Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, how was the, the tooth broken? What's the, what's the condition of the gum? What's the condition of the teeth around that? What's the condition of the bite? Um, what other restoratives has that patient already had maybe on that tooth or on the other surrounding teeth? And what, when doctors started to explain this to me as, as a non-clinician, I was like, wow, okay, now I see why this is so complex. And I don't know that patients appreciate that. I don't know that they appreciate the complexity of dentistry, which can be different from the medical side. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like there, there, a lot more education has to go in towards that, right? For the patient. But at the same time, the patient has to want it. You know what I mean? So I'll, I'll tell you my own personal experience with the root canal. So um, my, I, I, when I lived in Boston, I was treated by three generations of my cousins. Uh, first, the grandfather, then the father, and then before I left Boston, the son. So they passed on their private practice uh, to multi-generations. 
But while I was being treated, uh, my cousin, who was the father, who's now retired, I had a cracked molar. And I received care from him for years, just a wonderful, caring, but also highly scientific, competent dentist. I never had issues with any crowns or anything. So anyway, he filled that tooth and the tooth wouldn't calm down. And I understand sometimes that could happen. And so I was taking ibuprofen and for two weeks, it just, it never calmed down. So I went back and he looked at the tooth. He said, you know, I looked at it, you know, we got through the crack. It was okay, but I think you're going to need a crown. So then I moved to a crown. And so they put the crown on and guess what? The tooth still wouldn't calm down, right? So realizing now that I need a root canal, so this is when I peeked out about the root canal um, and got a percha, uh, realizing that I needed that and just really terrified, actually, of, of having the root canal. So um, I called an endo to have the root canal done. The woman took my phone call and she said, okay, we got an appointment on a Friday. She said, we have an appointment on a Monday. And I said, I will take that appointment at one o'clock on Monday. I am there. I just have to live through the weekend with this oral. And, and the oral pain I had was worse than any pain I've had in my entire life. I just, and I was taking Tylenol and I was taking ibuprofen and I was getting in trouble because I was taking too much Tylenol. I had a liver, liver function test. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So anyway, but everything was okay. But I, she, so I make the appointment on the Friday afternoon. A half an hour later, she calls me and she said, we called your insurance you've maxed your benefits. So insurance will not pay for the root canal on Monday. And I said, great, here's my credit card. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. They will not pay for any portion of your root canal. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I am in writhing pain and I need to have this root canal done on Monday. But also I told her I'm in business. I understand how this works and I know that I've maximized my benefits. I heard a dentist once say that dental insurance is like an allowance given by stingy parents. So not my quote. I heard it from a dentist. I thought it was pretty funny. But in this situation, the, the woman at the front desk couldn't believe how I was so willing to give my credit card and not just because I was in pain, but because I realized, okay, I've maximized my benefits. I you know, have my filling. I have my crown. Now I'm at this juncture. But not every patient is like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt on behalf of that, that office person who maybe would have a patient saying, well, you're not doing this right. You're clearly not talking to my payer, my insurer in the correct way, right? When she really was, right? So because I knew I, uh, I, I had no problem with it, but there's plenty of other patients. And we started at the DSO where they didn't understand the benefits that they had with their dental plans and would often think that the office gave them bad care or did treat them well because of this state of their insurance benefits. Mm, yeah. And that reflects badly on the office, but it actually is the, um, the, the relationship between the patient and the insurer. Mm -hmm. The provider is just doing a, providing a service to the patient to submit those claims and, and, and handle those on behalf of the patient. Mm, gotcha. Okay, man, that's, that's pretty hectic what happened though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. to be in that kind of pain to want to last the yeah. weekend. Here's my credit card. Here's my credit card. <laughs> Take my money. Yeah, you know? please. Yeah. please. No, I get you. Okay, so then right now, what do you absolutely love about dentistry? You know, I, I love the passion that doctors have for their patients. That really, uh, for me, is what keeps me in this industry. Um, I'll say being on the medical side, you know, I saw a lot of doctors who lost that passion. Mm. Um, for, for a variety of reasons, where dentists still seem to have that, that real um, inner drive to 
help that patient in pain, um, to help that patient who maybe wants a better smile so that they can go out in the world more confidently, um, to help a patient who maybe uh, is having some uh, jaw issues, right? Um, it, because they're, they're, they're clenching their teeth, they're, they're grinding their teeth, whatever it might be. And it just amazes me the variety of, of cases that show up in that dental chair, that that, especially the generalists, have to be uh, really well-versed in treating and that they're mm-hmm. passionate about treating that for the patient. And that just makes me smile. Uh, I, I just love that. And that was one of the things I loved about my cousins. Uh, they were just so excited about dentistry. They were always up on what was ever the newest um, uh, treatments, whatever the newest uh, materials were. And they were always educating themselves. And that's the other thing that I find with dentists, that they're always hungry for new education so that they can provide better care to their patients. Yeah. Are you, do your cousins still have the practice or no? They sell the practice. Yeah, uh, actually, okay. it was uh, last week I was up in Boston and I was uh, visiting with, uh, they are Henry Schein customers, uh-huh. uh, I'm proud to say. Um, and I was visiting with the folks that um, that actually have them as an account. So, Yeah, I was going to ask if if they know what you do and or how do they feel about it and everything like that. Well, actually, <laughs> I saw the father uh, a couple of trips ago when I was up in Boston. And I saw the father who's now retired. And I said, Henry Schein, he burst out laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing because he knows my career. He has been on the medical side into 2016. And then it was just funny that I should uh, work for Henry Schein. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Awesome. So what last piece of advice that you want to give to our listeners, Karen, where you feel like you want to leave them with something that can probably move the needle, right, for their business? Yeah. I would say don't become discouraged when you can't hire the right staff. Help is out there, especially when it comes to your finances and revenue cycle. Help is out there. There's no reason to have sleepless nights. There's no reason to worry about, especially if you're you know, small practice about paying your staff and making payroll. There's no reason to worry about those things in today's day and age where there are reliable folks who do have the expertise that you need and that don't have to sit in your office every day, but can provide a high quality service to you. So again, rely on us, please. And we can deliver peace of mind through our service providers. Awesome, awesome. Karen, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Sure. Uh, I'm at Henry Scheid. So you can write to me at Karen, K-A-R-E-N, dot golden russell that is g-o-l-d-e-n-r-u-s-s-e-l-l all read together at henryshine.com gotcha so guys that's going to be in the show notes below feel free to reach out to karen pick her brain a little bit more and karen thank you so much for being with us it was a pleasure nice to chat with you take care Karen, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. Make sure you go in the show notes below. Check out any of the links that you heard in this episode. If you want to check out whatever she was talking about, you can go in the show notes below and check it out. Um, Also, please do me a favor if you can. uh, Two things. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. It lets us know how we're doing and it helps me out a lot as well. And also, second thing is if you want to talk to Karen, if you want to talk to any other guests, Um, that you've heard on this podcast in the past or talk about an episode or go a little bit deeper about a specific topic in an episode, you can do so by joining the Facebook group, The Dental Marketer Society. It's going to be one of the first links in the show notes below. So go ahead and do that. Alrighty, guys. Thank you all so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you in the next episode.